Fitzroy is not doing well. The curse is consuming him from the inside out. Argo does his best to comfort him. The fear bog is on the hunt. Chaos rears its head, and all hell is about to break loose. We listen to episode 15 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Alright everyone and welcome back to Talkin' Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hi! Lauren, what'd you think of this episode? Okay, I just want the to let the record show that I am stressed out. Uh, hi, yes, I would like uh, to uh, submit to the official record that I am screaming! Screaming! I... We were already on a cliffhanger last time, and then we started off right away with this curse that's on Fitzroy, and I was stressed yeah, the entire time. This was a wild one. It was. I mean, so yeah, let's let's just jump right into it. Fitzroy is finding it hard to breathe, and it feels like there's an invisible weight pressing down on his body, and it's getting heavier. He only catches snippets of questions Althea is asking him, and every time he tries to focus, his vision goes white. Althea turns to Argo and the Fearbulg, asking where they went, and the boys say they went to visit the Spirit of the Scarlet Woods, which sounds like a golf course, according to them. <laughs> which kind of does, the Spirit of the Scarlet Woods. I Yeah, I would, uh, I would play that round of golf. <laughs> when asked if the meeting with the Spirit went well, the boys are kind of noncommittal about it, so Althea just kind of moves on, asking what happened after they got back. They said they met up with Calhane, and Althea accepts this before glancing around at the gathered crowd and trying to comfort Fitzroy saying that while she isn't familiar with this curse specifically, she can help as long as Fitz can stay conscious and continue fighting. These words are lost on Fitzroy, though, because his mind is back at his first day at Clyde Knight's Night Night School. Oh my god. Travis asks what Fitzroy was thinking and feeling as he walked into the school, and Griffin says Fitzroy felt out of place, and the airs that he currently puts on is something that he developed while he was attending Clyde Knight's as an aspirational haughtiness, which we had kind of talked about Uh, Like, assuming. We had assumed that he kind of put on this facade because he wasn't going to fit in at Clyde Knights. And it's true. Which was the case. Yeah. So what do you think Fitzroy was like before Clyde Knights? I mean, he was probably just a regular guy. Like, just super normal. Super normal. Like, and I, I don't say that in a way where, like, he magically became, like, interesting. Like, I just imagined he was, like, you know, every kind of better than average guy in a small town. You know, mm-hmm. where they're a big fish in a small pond and then they go into a big lake and they're the smallest fish there type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think rather than kind of fumble like a lot of people do in that situation, he decided that he was going to kind of change himself to fit the the narrative. That makes me so sad. You know, at the end of the day, it was also manifestation. Like it's what he wanted to be like. Yeah, it's true. When you do pack your bags and move away, you get to decide who you want to be when you get to that new place and this is what Fitzroy chose to be so he goes on to say Fitzroy is excited and that this is a dream fulfilled but there's also the fear that he will mess everything up and that he isn't worthy of that dream oh Fitzroy which is sad Fitzroy as Fitzroy walks in he feels the looks from the other students knowing he doesn't belong they really look at his clothing and they whisper good castle with hidden smiles to one another which makes me feel like you know it's probably a running joke amongst them like yeah, that's a good castle one because they, I mean, I feel like it's pretty well established that Good's castle is a scam. Yeah, and it really, like, brings home the point that these people were not his friends. Like, they all knew no, 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 Good no, no. castle was fake and none of them said anything. Yeah. Whereas 
as soon as Rainier caught on, she's like, are you sure that this is like a thing? Like she was very upfront and honest with him. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. And I mean, even Argo and Fearbulk had the conversation of like, should we tell him? Yeah. So like already he's with people who are so much better for him at Wiganstaffs, but it just makes me so sad for his time at Clyde Knights. Yeah. We cut to Argo and the Fearbulk, who see Fitzroy clearly in pain. Althea has gone back to her tent to see what she can find, and Travis wants to know what these two do to keep their friend with them. The Fearbulk rolls Arcana and can tell that this is a psychic curse and Fitz is being hurt from within. Something is making him relive a nightmare or a horrible memory and his body is rejecting his own psyche. (laughs) That's so intense. Oh my god god yeah i can't imagine being cursed to like live my worst memories over and over again i mean to an extent that's kind of what anxiety is but at least i have a respite from it sometimes (laughs) that's true i mean i guess it depends on the anxiety you have but you could have physical pain with that too so it's very like anxiety i suppose argo starts to talk to fitzroy reassuring him that he and the fearbull got his back and they'll protect him that Fitz is their friend, and no matter what's going on in his head, they'll be here for him when he comes back and will help him through it. And I was like, aww, Argo. Argo? I mean, I know that, like, they haven't been super close in the past, but that was so sweet. Travis then goes on to explain a check-slash-skill he created in this game called Support, which we've kind of seen here and there before, which they add the charisma modifiers to. I'm pretty sure they use it in the dodgeball game. I was going to say, It might have been a different skill, but I, I think it was Support. I think it was support. Yeah. Argo rolls a seven, which Griffin says feels right for the relationship Argo and Fitzroy have. Yeah, it and does. it's it makes me sad, but I agree because even Same. though like I think Argo is kind of a ride or die, they're also still not close. You and know? Argo only very recently became ride or die at the imp hospital when Fitzroy saved him. Before he was kind of like, oh, Fitzroy's putting on airs and he's not everything he seems to be but then as soon as Fitzroy showed his true colors Argo was like okay I will die for this boy yeah we cut back to the vision Fitzroy standing at Clyde Knights feeling completely alone and separated from the other students we then fast forward to where Fitzroy has been at Clyde Knights for a while now and he's worked hard to succeed and do well but his dedication to school hasn't been well received by the other students which was another thing that we had kind of theorized on was that he was doing so well especially by the virtue that he was even being trained by the headmistress Mm -hmm. that the other students kind of were jealous and hated him because of it which is confirmed here as well it is and they even they call him teacher's pet which is something we had we even called him a teacher's pet we did yeah in a previous episode so we were we're the bullies (laughs) oh no that's a twist i didn't see coming are we the baddies are we the baddies we have skulls on our caps (laughs) i love mitchell and webb (laughs) so good but yeah the other students call him a kiss ass teacher's pet travis then asks what fitzroy's experience was like at the school Griffin says there's definitely a disconnect between his family life and what he presents himself to be now, and he thinks that's why it came about. Fitzroy is desperate to make something of himself and sees Clyde Knights as a way of doing that. He says Fitzroy isn't an antisocial guy, having 16 charisma out of a possible 20, but he decided that this is part of himself he has to shed if it means he'll succeed and become a knight that has some value to society. And I was like, man, this is all so sad. It's like, I mean, I don't think they're going this deep, but it is like, you know, really important to kind of think about those societal pressures on people and how people feel the need to change themselves to fit kind of that mold. Yeah, it happens a lot. And people do 
change depending on the environment they're in. And it makes me so sad that Fitzroy did it to his own detriment in a way. Well, especially because, I mean, I will say, I think a lot of times when people change to fit a mold, it, it it's worse, you know? I think yeah. to an extent, people really appreciate genuineness. Mm-hmm. And to a larger extent, I think people can really tell when there is a lack of genuineness. Mm-hmm. And people hate disingenuous people. Yeah, it's true. So if you're just yourself, it's it's better. Yeah, and you know it's so hard to convince yourself to let yourself be yourself. I don't. I, this is becoming a very deep conversation. It really is. But I mean, this is going to be like PJ's like advice corner. It's hard <laughs> to be yourself because sometimes it can really feel like no one wants you to be yourself. Mm-hmm. But you will always find people that you will be more happy to be with if you are yourself. Mm-hmm. than the people you find yourself with when you put on a facade. Yeah, it's true. The facade becomes exhausting after a while. And you realize that these people aren't friends with you. They're friends with the character you created. Exactly. Uh, but back to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Travis asks how his experience at his school is compared to his life at home with Dendra and Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> Jerry Maplecourt. Jerry Maplecourt. Griffin says it's completely different, but there was a time where he wanted something more. So this school is new to him, and it's a swift shift in personality. He's enjoying it and knows it's something he can get used to. Returning to the Fearbolg and Argo, they see that Fitzroy isn't doing well. He's clenching his jaw, whimpering, which they've never seen him in this kind of pain before. Oh, man. Which, I mean, it's really interesting when you consider the fact that they've seen him on the verge of literal death. Yes. Yes, they have. But honestly... I've seen people in so many states of pain and, like, life as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, sometimes, like, chronic pain is worse than a sudden death. Like, that's just, that's, like, a weird take, but it can be. It can be, because it's ongoing. The Fearbog leaves the tent to go look for Calhane. Argo reaches into his pocket and pulls out the Adventures of Larry the Lime and starts reading from the book. (laughs) And he rolls a 15 on his support check. Because he's being a really good friend. He is. As soon as he's like, I pull out Larry the Lime. I was like, oh my God, that's so sweet. I love Larry the Lime. Oh my God. Even though Fitzroy is separate from the rest of his classmates, he doesn't feel as alone and he feels like what he's doing is right. And the focus on his work is the right thing to do. The Fearbolg returns to Calhane's tent and Calhane is nowhere to be seen. He finds amongst his possessions a magic mirror, which is a two-way communication device in this world. And I was like, what you, what you got going on here, Calhane? Right? I was like, where'd you go? What's this phone? New phone who dis? He rolls Arcana to unlock the mirror after Griffin's supportive, do it, swordfish. <laughs> the glass is foggy, so he can't make out a face, but he does hear a voice. It asks if Calhane has it, and through a series of grunts, the Fearbulk is able to successfully deceive the voice into thinking he is Calhane, who does not have whatever it is. Okay, good. I'm glad that they found a way to the fear bulk to do a deception check. Exactly. I love that he just didn't say anything. Yeah, you can't lie if you don't talk. Exactly. The voice says not to bother him again until he has it, then he hangs up. The fear bulk knows the voice as one he is very familiar with. It is the fake Hieronymus Wiggenstaff. Oh my god. I had two thoughts here. Okay. Which was, oh my God, yeah. what the hell? Fake Hieronymus is like in- involved in all of this. So clearly he knows about the apple too. Right. So he's trying to stop Hagelmas from making the potion. But B, I'm a little mad at Travis. Why are you mad at Travis? They tried to intimidate information out of 
Calhane last episode. Yeah. And they rolled super high. And he gave them no inclination that this was a thing. Like, not even like a breadcrumb. That's true. Yeah. Clint rolled a nat 20. Well, he rolled a nat 20 to like help out the, the like intimidation. But that was just more like of like an assist. But even without that nat 20, they rolled a 23 on the actual intimidation. That's true. And I mean, if you were the DM, if someone was like, I'll help them with the intimidation and I want to do this super cool move and they rolled a nat 20, would you let that go? Well, I definitely wouldn't. But especially even just with a 23, let alone ignoring the nat 20, I would have given something, you know, even if I was like, this is too plot relevant or and you know, I'm not sacred with that at all. The amount of times you guys have rolled well on a roll and I'm like, here's the entire plot, you you jerks. I mean, we were in a room the other day. One of our players rolled a nat 20. You're like, all right, well, don't do this and you won't set off the trap. Move on to the next room, I guess. <laughs> I literally was like, all right, uh, well, you rolled a nat 20, so I guess I'm going to get rid of these 22 minis I made. <laughs> For the impending battle that we would have had because you realize what to do to avoid it. Yep. It was a proud and sad moment because I was like, I spent all night making these. <laughs> but you're a good DM to honor the dice. But even if I wasn't, let's say, even if I was a DM that was like, this is too plot relevant for you to figure it out right now, which I never would be. But that's Mm -mm. neither here nor there. People can be whatever kind of DM they want. I would have at least given you a breadcrumb on a 23, you know? And I don't feel like he did. Yeah, no, because I remember last episode, you were like, no, I don't think it's Calhane because they rolled super high and he only confessed to being a sidekick. So I think it's like all of this is something else. But Calhane's clearly involved with something. Yeah, so that's neither here nor there, but like, get it together, boys. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good point to make. Yeah, the Fearbug doesn't see anything else of note, but he does see there's a back exit to the tent, which leads to the field that goes towards the apple. Ugh. The Fearbug decides to go to the apple, and it all seems to be the same, and the Fearbug casts Detect Magic, getting a whiff of something else. It's obscured because of the apple, but he is able to roll Perception with advantage, and he rolls a nat 20. Whoop, whoop. So Griffin and Justin both reiterate that now, legally, Travis has to tell them where the f- wizard swear is. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah, boys. <laughs> legally, you have to. I'm going to pull that on you sometime. And- <laughs> legally, uh, we win. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled an at 20, so legally? <laughs> Travis says the whiff of, I'm going to sue you if you don't tell me. <laughs> no, stop, no. Travis says the whiff of other magic is now so clear to the Fearbolg and it's illusory magic coming from all around him. The Fearbolg assumes that Calhane is hiding somewhere in plain sight. Oh, God. Remember when I said I was stressed before? I'm like super <laughs> stressed now. Super stressed. We flash back to Fitzroy, who was standing in a room in front of his peers. Sylvia Knight has called him to the front of the class, Magical Theory, and it's by far the most difficult class yet and it's been difficult for him to accept that he has no magical ability, especially because he is a half-elf. He's trying to light a tea candle with a one-time use spell for the zillionth time, and he can hear the snickers of other students. The wick is dark without any smoke, then everything changes. His magic breaks loose and transforms Sylvia Knight into a slimy bottom fader, the famous catfish incident. The famous catfish incident! The wild magic crackles and visible lightning bolts streak down wall sconces to rafter and back. I really like that Travis is like connecting the whole Thunderman thing to Fitzroy's magic. Hell yeah. I think that's a really cool visual that they keep up throughout the whole storytelling part. 
Yeah, honestly, th- this makes no sense at all because uh, he's already a wild magic sorcerer. But if they ever get to the point where he somehow, like, whatever plot hook is his wild magic, mm-hmm. um, which I think we start learning a little bit in this episode, obviously, mm-hmm. if they ever can conquer it where he no longer has wild magic, it would be cool for him to become a storm sorcerer instead of a wild magic sorcerer. Oh, that would be super cool. I'm here for this. I love storm sorcerers. I've never played with one before, but they sound super, super cool. Storm Sorcerers, Tempest Clerics, and Gloomstalker Rangers are some of my favorite newer subclasses. All of them in their own ways broken. Because you can just do like crazy things to nature or... Yeah, the next time I get to play a character, I might go Gloomstalker Ranger if if, if we need a martial class. Because man, those guys can destroy, destroy. If you're in darkness... Mm Mm-hmm. If you're in darkness and creatures have dark vision, you're invisible to them. What? With certain, like, there's just so many things that you get with a Gloomstalker Ranger. It's it, it's a super broken class Whoa. in the best way possible. Is this the new one that they it's released? It's not super new. No, it's been out for a little bit. It's not in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Okay. But I've just seen it played twice now in uh, two different D&D podcasts. And both times I was like, man, this character is a beast. And when you do play characters, you like to play those characters that can break the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think every DM makes it their personal mission when they are finally a player to do all the things that either A, their players have done to screw them over, but Mm -hmm. B, everything that they've ever been like, I don't know why you would take that. This is a much better choice. Yeah, just play testing in your own way. Because in in essence, you get to see like four to six or however many players you have make choices on characters. And your players are just focused on their own character, but you're focused on everyone's character. So like you're looking at them and being like, well, you took this spell. I don't know why you took this spell and you you took this ability or you took this subclass. And you're almost getting like such a big like eagle eye view of playing Mm -hmm. that you get such a different perspective on it. And also, you know, the ins and outs of the game more than anyone else. That's true, because you have had to set up and then play by the rules the entire time. Exactly. And then you finally get the chance to break free. The teacher's assistant, an accomplished wizard, draws the magic through her body and grounds it before returning Sylvia to her normal self. Sylvia turns to look at Fitzroy, and Travis wants to know what he saw in her eyes. Griffin says it was fear, and it makes him feel crushed because he knows his dream has come to an end, and I was heartbroken. I know. I was like, oh, no, Fitzroy. I mean, we know this happens. We know that he gets expelled from Clyde Knights and has to go to Wiganstaffs, but... It's the perspective, you know? It's Yeah. It's the looking into, like, the visual of looking into someone's eyes and knowing that your dream has just died. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. Simultaneously, he also feels great that a powerful person, as both a professor and in society, took notice of him and is going to remember who he is. Which is a little bit of a, like, scary thought. Fitzroy, I mean, it's something that I think the school has honed in on. He has the potential to go very dark. Yeah, that was a very dark thought. And I, yeah. I loved that role play from him. It was really cool. Hello, everyone. It's me, PJ, your New Year nemesis. Here, as always, a thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. It's the last episode of 2020. 
what a year it's been for a million different reasons, but an especially big thank you to all of you who have taken time to let us into your lives for 30 to 45 minutes every week. Doing this podcast, interacting with you all, and growing an audience has been my favorite part of this hellscape of a year. 2021 will only bring more talking Taz to your feed, so make sure you don't miss it by keeping up with us on social media. Follow us on Facebook by searching for at Taz. There, you can also find the official Takataz group, where you can interact with us as well as other fans of the podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, at Takintaz. Or, go to our website, talking-taz.pinecast.co, for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. No major notes from this episode, but as always, we have a closing question. Last week, we left you with a question about holiday one-shots, and we got some hilarious, heartwarming, and horrifying responses. This week, with the end of the year around the corner, I wanted to take time to ask a little bit more serious of a question, but hopefully one that is a positive one. What was your favorite part of 2020? I know it's been horrible for so many people for so many reasons, and we've all been affected by many different things. But what good thing were you able to hold on to to carry you through the last nine months? We'd love to hear about it, because we'd love to hear about you guys. Now, back to the podcast. The scene flashes forward a little bit to where Fitzroy is outside her office and he can hear her talking with other professors. He knows his time at the school has come to an end and he feels crushed. Argo notices that Fitzroy is barely responding. He continues to read and draws on his knowledge of Fitzroy's past and seems to modify the story to let Fitzroy, a Barry in the story now, (laughs) know that Larry, Argo, is proud to be friends with her and that Larry is confident that the berry is going to be the best fruit in the world. And I was, like, crying. Oh, I was, like, actually, like, wiping tears from my eyes listening to this. I was like, oh, my God. Because I know Clint was, like, going through his inventory to try to find out what he could do to help, and the fact that he just starts coming up with this story. And it's such a beautiful little, like... I mean, it's such a powerful thing to just have Argo, in obviously uncertain terms, but Argo say, like, I'm happy you're my friend, and I know you're going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He rolls oh. an 18 on his support roll, which it would have been amazing if it was a nat 20 because that's a nat 20 worth of uh, support. But an 18 is still pretty good. An 18 is very good. Which translates so beautifully because even in this Fitzroy's darkest hour, he feels warm. Like maybe there is hope, which is Argo's help transcending. Oh my god. He can't hold on to it for very long, though. But he seems to know that his life isn't over. He does another wisdom saving throw with advantage and gets a 19. Yes. Ugh, that's so much better. We return to the fear bulk as he is looking around the field, trying to make sense of this feeling of illusory magic. He tries to pierce it with his knowledge of magic, and he finds the illusion is pretty solid, and he can't take it apart in its entirety, but he is able to zero in on the tree and the apple itself, projecting this magic. The fear bulk tries to walk up and take the apple, but nothing happens. He moves forward with confidence, passing through all the tripwires, and his hand comes up to grab the apple, but it closes on nothing. And I was like, homeboy already stole the apple i was like oh my god and he's better at magic than he lied about again useless intimidation 23 apparently useless intimidation oh my god i'm already stressed i'm so even more stressed the illusion fades and the apple is gone the sentinels on the side of the centaurs of the valley is gone and the sentinel on the side of the centaurs of the woods is a charred corpse oh my god and it looks like it died pretty recently oh my god the fear bulk heads over to the other camp and is immediately met with confusion and anger drawing spears on him as he approaches he says he means no threat and says the apple is gone and when the centaurs see this to be true they advance even faster not calmed at all by the disappearance of the apple god 
my god oh my god this is where we meet Arturus, a 20-something looking centaur with a full beard, and he yells thief and raises his spear at the Fearbolg. He says he wants to make peace and to warn them if they attack him, there will be war and neither side is prepared for that. Oof. A voice from the crowd, Rhodes the Ranger, says the Fearbolg is telling the truth, and the Fearbolg asks Rhodes for help because the apple is gone and Fitzroy is dying, and they are heading towards F territory. Oh. <laughs> it just reminds me of like... <laughs> Or worse, expelled. Or worse, expelled. <laughs> <laughs> he asks her for help in tracking Calhain, which she accepts. She turns to Mimi and Moon and asks them to get Arturus in a room with Malwin to stop the war before it starts. Then she and the Fearbull go on a hunt. Flashing back to Fitzroy, Travis says it's time to open his eyes. He's sitting in a world of opulence in a richly upholstered winged back chair, but he gets the impression that he's not in the world he was just in. I mean, I know we have some frustration with Travis, but as a storyteller, he like is really able to paint a very vivid picture and I really, really like it. Yeah, I mean, I have no pro I don't have major problems with Travis. Like, I just have DM gripes here and there. But mm -hmm. again, it is still like basically his first time. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring them up. Yeah. But for the most part, he's a phenomenal storyteller. I just think he needs to make sure he's towing the line between being a storyteller and being a DM. You've mentioned that before. I can't remember if it was on this podcast where Travis is trying to be essentially like a, a like the storyteller, like a writer, like trying to write a novel instead of letting his players play a game. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast too much. But yeah, there are times where I do feel like he's not railroading them, but he does kind of push forward and be like, hey, like, no, that's not what's going to happen because I have a thing planned already in a way. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do it often. And I don't think he's like fully railroading them. But this is a this is a trapping that a lot of DMs have to try to avoid, which is you're not writing a novel. You're telling a story with other people. Exactly. It's a collaborative effort. Yeah. And sometimes people are so precious with the world and the story that they've created that they can even get mad at their players for doing something unexpected. And I don't think Travis is at that point by any means. Mm -hmm. But for any DMs out there, just a helpful hint. You are playing with your friends to create a world together. You are not casting them in a play. Yes. Yes. You need to say that louder for the kids in the back. <laughs> say it louder for the kids in the back. <laughs> A nine-foot-tall person stands before him. Their skin, with the iridescent quality of Mother of Pearl, shifts in posture, sending colors shooting across their body, which Fitz finds mesmerizing and intoxicating, but also disconcerting. Their eyes are pure white, and they wear the finest clothing he has ever seen. Travis pays extra attention to the cloak, which is equally as opulent. They smile at seeing Fitzroy, which is welcoming at first, but their gaze becomes off-putting over time. Ugh. They address Fitzroy by his full title, saying words cannot express how pleased they are to finally meet him. My God, who is who is uh, this person? Uh, yeah. Fitz wants to know if they are part of the fever dream or if they are something else, <laughs> saying he can't tell because he's so tired. The being waves their hand and Fitz doesn't feel tired anymore and is completely revitalized. They confirm they are more or less something else. Ugh. Fitzroy wants to know if they are aware of how ominous they are right now, and they say yes. <laughs> They know, but it's because they've been looking forward to this and they are at a loss now that Fitz is actually here. I realize I'm doing a voice as I describe this and I don't know why. You're like turning into this being. Seriously, I think it, it's such a it's such a energy that I can't not kind of convey that energy as I'm going through it. 
Yeah. And I mean, everyone does a great job RPing. We've covered this before, but like the way Travis plays this character feels so sinister and powerful yes, and mesmerizing. Oh my God. So I get that you're sliding into that character because it's <laughs> so intoxicating to be a part of this scene. Yeah. Fitzroy asks, where are we? Who are you? What's going on? And they answer in order. This is their home. They have gone by many names, some of them unkind. And the one they identify with most is chaos. chaos. And I was like, ooh, is this like pure chaos? Is And obviously I'm like, well, this is where Fitzroy gets his, you know, wild magic. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought too. And they can't quite go into what's going on, but they consider this a performance review of sorts. Ugh. Fitzroy laments that even in his fever dreams, he's getting grades. <laughs> <laughs> And wants to know how he's doing. Chaos thinks he's doing wonderfully, knowing he was worthy and had potential. Oh my god. We head back to the Fearbogen Roads, back at the tree, and when Travis asks what they are looking for, Justin says, I don't know, she's the tracker. (laughs) I mean, he did very carefully pick which character he wanted to work with. Yeah, you you get the ranger to track for you. That's, That's rule number one. That's what rangers do. It's like their whole thing. Yeah. Rose finds one indication, a footprint on the trunk where someone scurried to grab the apple. From the footprint, Rose begins to track and her attention is drawn back to the centaurs of the woods camp and she heads off in that direction, the fearbulg following her. Returning to Argo, he sees his friend has gone very still, but he's still breathing even if it's slight. Argo is extremely worried and feels helpless, not knowing if any of this is helping Fitzroy. I, ha- I can identify with this so much because there have been so many times when like crazy stuff is happening in a game and you see all the players around you like scrolling through your inventory to like try to find something, anything that will like help or stop the situation. Totally. So, ugh, that hit home. It's so good. It's peak D&D right there. It really is. Argo continues to read the book, but then can't follow the analogy anymore. So he drops it and starts <laughs> talking from the heart. He says that he knows Fitzroy's in there. That he knows all about Fitzroy's past and his parents and that he isn't the fancy lad that he pretends to be. He admits to investigating Fitzroy, emphasizing that he never wanted anything bad to happen to him, and he never did anything that would hurt him. But that Fitzroy is really a good dude, who is Argo's friend, and he believes in Fitzroy no matter what he did or didn't do, he has noble intentions. And I was like, damn. It's such good, such good RP from Clint. Such good RP getting so emotional the entire time (laughs) i know and we had talked earlier in this episode about like be who you really are instead of who you pretend to be and i feel like fitzroy's finally finding friends who like him for who he is yeah yeah and it's so it makes me cry argo thinks fitzroy is going to be remarkable and an amazing person because he has it in him and he shouldn't let his failure at clyde knight's night night school Though he does call it Clyde Knight School of Night at Night to find him. <laughs> and I was I, like, I get it. It's a complicated name. It's a very, I mean, I've misspoken it before in the past. It's, it's a lot to say. The only way failure defines a person is if they give up. And Fitzroy hasn't given up and he's moving on and is trying to make something better of himself. I haven't mentioned it, but this is just Clint being an awesome dad. Too. I was going to say the same thing. I was like, I get like strong dad energy. In this whole speech where he's like, you know, you can't give up. Failure only defines you if you give up. So, like, don't do that. And, like, yeah, such a good dad. Yes. We head back to whatever Fitzroy is having. Chaos is sitting across from him. Chaos asks how Fitzroy is enjoying the magic. Fitzroy gives him an honest answer of, eh, it's all right. 
He says his life could have gone a non-catfishy route if his magic hadn't manifested, and he'd probably be doing pretty well if that were the case. But it didn't, and now he has random powers that he can't control, which is disappointing. Chaos winces when Fitz uses the word control, saying he should let his magic run wild. That's a very chaos answer. Yeah, chaos has seen Fitzroy's potential and gave him his power so that he could be uncontrollable. When Fitzroy asks what chaos suggests he does, chaos says whatever you want. Whether that's power, respect, or to be important and remembered, he should do that. When asked if Fitzroy is waiting for someone to give any of those things to him, he says that's the only way he knows that those things have been gotten. Chaos says if Fitzroy wants something, he needs only act on it, saying when he transformed Sylvia, the fear in her eyes made him feel powerful, and he wonders if he wants that again. Fitzroy admits he does, to which Chaos asks why he's trying to control himself then, and to just act, and I was like, oh my god. Oh my god. God, I'm like, don't listen. Fitzroy's always been on that knife's edge of like, maybe evil, maybe good. Like, don't, don't shove him over to the bad side. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I would Ugh. love to have a player that I could do something like this with. I mean, I kind of do. And I love having a player that is like pure chaos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I can like easily sway them to like create utter drama. It stresses me out as a player i have played a chaotic character before but they've always been like so good but just pure chaos that's like oh that's so dangerous we cut back to the fear bog rose is on the trail moving faster and faster and the fear bog gets confused because she led him back to his tent that he's sharing with argo and fitzroy she assures him that this is where the trail from the apple led everyone is still gathered around fitzroy in front of calhane's tent the Fearbulg investigates their tent and rolls a 19. Justin goes on a small aside about how investigation is a Fearbulg's strong suit, but Griffin and Travis both say he's rolling super well, to which Justin brushes it off, saying it's all just chance. We have said this before in our, our sessions, where the dice also tell the story. Well, yeah, the dice, this is a quote I got from Brennan Lee Mulligan, which is the dice are the second DM at the table, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, they're telling as much of a story as you are. Exactly. And you could... You can have a plus 18 on something, and if the story, if the dice want you to roll in that one, they're going to have you roll in that one, and that's what the story is going to demand. And characters like grow and learn and become more interesting when they fail, because it's not about the failure, it's about what they do with it. Yeah. So some days you're going to have really low rolls, and that's meant to like help your character get stronger, and then other days you're going to succeed and look super cool, like the Fearbulg, investigating yeah. all this stuff and like doing really well at it. From the investigation, the Fearbulg doesn't find Calhane or the apple, but he does realize that something is missing, which is the pack that the Fearbulg carries the supplies in. Rhodes finds a slit in the tent, and the trail continues, so they continue on. Meanwhile, a silence has fallen between Chaos and Fitzroy. What he really honed in on, and what he really wants, is to be remembered, which he always has associated with being a big famous knight. But now that door is closed to him. Fitz. And I wonder if that means that he's like officially giving up on Good Castle too. Like you think he's at this point, you think he's completely shifting gears and not wanting to be a knight anymore. It's possible if he's saying that he feels that door is closed to him. That's true, especially since he's reliving all of it over again. It might be coming even more clear that like maybe this isn't the path he's supposed to take. Exactly. He's feeling the same disappointment that he felt when he heard he was going to be expelled because he realizes that what Chaos is offering him is another door to fame and being remembered, but he's not interested in hurting people to accomplish that. So he is good. 
Fitzroy is good. He is, but that realization did come in a lot slower than he'd be comfortable admitting. But he did come to that decision in the end. That's... Again, it's a razor's edge, and he always ends up falling just right on the side of good. He does, and it makes me so relieved because I love him so much. <laughs> Cutting to Argo, we see that Fitzroy is almost completely still now, his breathing so shallow that it's almost imperceptible. Argo leans in really close, saying that if Fitzroy doesn't suck it up and come back to them, he's going to wear all of Fitz's clothes and prance in them when he hasn't bathed. Ew. Ew. Which is, I think, a phenomenal way of trying to get Fitzroy back. Oh, I think so, too. Whereas Argo's trying to be, like, supportive and, like, listen, you have really good friends here. We're going to support you no matter what. Okay, shift gears. (laughs) I'm going to wear your cloaks. I'm going to wear your clothes. Your nice, fancy clothes. Suck it. Back in Fitzroy's mind, Chaos observes that he looks unhappy, to which Fitzroy points out that he was physically poisoned, but he won't be Chaos's weapon that they'll use to spread their chaotic influence around the world, even if he gets tossed out the window and dies, in the game and in real life. Chaos admits to being disappointed, saying he had hoped Fitzroy would find this fun. Chaos doesn't want Fitzroy to be his influence on Nua because he already is. Then Fitzroy becomes aware of a new sensation, like he's being prodded above his right collarbone with a hot poker and his body convulses. The last thing he sees is Chaos, who winks at him. Oh my god. I love Chaos. This might be my favorite NPC. More than Leon? More than Leon. (gasps) More than Rainier? More than Rainier. More than Snippers and Festo? I mean, he's close to Snippers. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We stay on Snippers. I mean, I love characters like this. Like the, like, I love a pure chaos character like this. And this is literally a pure chaos character. It is chaos. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get it. They're very intriguing and I like mm-hmm. want more scenes with them, but they also intimidate the hell out of me. Like they, <laughs> they're so scary. Fitzroy then opens his eyes and he's looking up at Althea's song, holding what looks like a stamp that one might use to wax seal a letter. Argo is beside her, looking the most happy and relieved he's ever been. Oh. Fitzroy says, if you touch my cloaks, I'll use my magic to explode your head. <laughs> To which Argo laughs and says, welcome back, boyo. Oh, my God. I loved it. It was such a beautiful scene. So good. So, so good. And I was like, oh, what a great way to end this episode. But we're not done yet. We're not done yet. We go back to the Fearbulg, who continues to follow Calhane's trail, which leads outside Malwin's tent. He perceives that the voices in the tent are raised and angry. The Fearbulg then flips the tent, which throws Travis off quite a bit. It really does. Saying it's one of those like tents that people use at wedding receptions and it's really big. But he lets Justin roll strength and he gets a dirty 20, which is a success. As he flips the tent, four faces turn to him. Deanna, Malwin, Arturis, and Calhane. Malwin looks at him in shock, taking a step back from his display of strength, and from what she can tell, animosity, and says, How could you have done this? We trusted you. Oh man. Arturis turns on Rhodes and Calhane holding the boy's pack, demands his arrest, throwing down the pack from which the magic apple rolls out. Oh my god! I was mad. I was big mad, because not only did Fitzroy get cursed and like almost die, but this Calhane dude is framing these boys for something they didn't do. I am not excited for them to have to fight like two tribes of centaurs for like something they didn't do Mm -hmm. 
And I'm sure like that's going to be part of the dynamic is like trying to convince them that this isn't really what happened. Yeah. But they're they're very aggressive. Both sides are very aggressive. Yep. So convincing them that the Thundermen are actually innocent is going to be like almost impossible to where, you know, an outside observer, it seems that combat is inevitable. Oh, 100%. I don't think there's a reality where they don't at least fight a little bit before the eventual like, oh, wait, that happened comes to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll have to wait and see because that's all we have for you guys this week. Oh, my God. What an episode. What a hell of an episode. So much happened. And I honestly, I can't. I'm so nervous for the next one. So nervous. I mean, I'm I feel I felt a lot of emotions with Argo and Fitzroy becoming closer and learning more about Fitz's time at Clyde Knights. And the Fearbolg was like just a boss going around that just around the whole camp, like figuring everything out. But oh, they have a lot more work to do. And we'll probably see some of it next week. But until then, I've been PJ. I've been Lauren. And we'll see you again next Thursday when we are once again talking Taz. Uh-huh.